Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. And welcome to the SJP Wrestling Podcast, episode number 46. Fast approaching a year of this night. This is blows my mind, really, that people are still listening out there, but I hugely, hugely appreciate it. Um, on today's show, we are continuing our look back on the year 2000, pay-per-view by pay-per-view, with David Eaton. Um, and we have reached the King of the Ring tournament from 2000. Uh, quite a mixed bag, but I'm looking forward to to chatting to David about it. And and here he is right now. David Eaton, how are we doing, sir? Hello, I'm pretty good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Well, a bit sniffily, actually, mate. I'm suffering with the old A fever today. Oh. It's causing me causing me a bit of grief but apart from that i'm, I'm not doing too bad how are you it's, mate yeah much the same it's been like almost three weeks of it for me like it got pretty bad like two weeks ago uh two or three weeks ago and like the the over-the-counter stuff wasn't cutting it anymore so i'm on like proper prescription hay fever drugs again for the first right. time in a couple of years but they seem to be holding it at bay like i'm a little bit like nasally or whatever but i'll, I'll, I'll make it through yeah, I feel the same, but I feel the same. My kids are sneezing their heads off as well, but and we live right opposite a field. Oh, so lovely! <laughs> when they cut that up, it's quite bad as well. But yeah, so no, well, no, yeah. it's it's not. It's, it's it could could be a lot worse. I suppose it could be a lot worse. The other thing is like because the weather's been so changeable. Like I haven't mowed my lawn in two months. Right. I think something like that. So it's like a meadow outside my back door, um, <laughs> which probably isn't helping me whatsoever. Um, but I don't know. I kind of like almost quite like it. There's a lot of like stuff that looks a bit like wheat, but isn't like that sort of like grassy weedy stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna cut it tomorrow. I think I've got a day off. So um, yeah, I'll be sad to see it all go. Well, just but, save a little patch in the corner or something. You know what? I think I might actually do that. Like we, we, were going, we were thinking of having like a little wildflower garden or something at one end. Like we might do that. Yeah, my parents. Uh, well, since all the kids have moved out, my parents have basically been doing their garden up bit by bit because we used to just trash it. Me and my brother-in-law, and my little brother used to play football and basically just wrecked the whole place. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and now there's like you know, my dad's got his shed out there. They've got an apple tree and other bits of bulbs, but one section they fenced off and they just let it grow wild, and it actually looks really, really cool. So yeah, yeah. Hmm. So you're listening to the SJP Gardening Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think you totally on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll let so you know good. how that goes. Yeah, definitely, mate, definitely. Um, King of the Ring 2000, bud. Um, this was quite a mixed bag, wasn't it? Oh, it certainly was. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't well front-loaded. Gonna say that much. Um, I ended up watching it in two parts because um, I couldn't get through it all at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, oh, okay. Well, we'll look at the usual details. The uh, the show's first broadcast on the twenty fifth of June two thousand. 
So we're a couple of days off as we record from the uh, 21st anniversary of the pay-per-view. Um, the attendance was listed as a sellout at 17,600 odd. And the buy rate was fast approaching quarter of a million, which again is a huge, huge amount. But WWF at this time were just making so much money, they could really do no wrong, I feel. Especially when you looked at what was going on on the other channel in 2000, the competition just simply was not there. Starting uh, to fall off a cliff, wasn't it? Oh, it was a mess. It was a mess. Um, I, I watched this back earlier on today, and I think it's the first time I've seen this since 2000. I've not gone back and watched any of this show since it probably first came out. So there's a great deal of this I couldn't remember. Yeah. Uh, and it felt like I was watching certain aspects of it for potentially the first time because it's been that long. Um, there was just it just really confused me in places. I mean, we'll get into the matches in a moment, but there's 11 of them on the show. There's so many people involved all the way through the pay-per-view. It just seems like so much going on. I can't really pick any particular moments out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about this. It's it's very much like there's everything going on, but at the same time, there's nothing going on. Yeah, like the entire like the entire show obviously is based around the tournament. They're trying to get the entire tournament done in one show, which um, surprised me because I knew that they did that in the past, right? But I feel like they haven't done that in a very, 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 very long time. Like they normally run some qualifiers, like on Raw and SmackDown and stuff, don't they? And then like essentially just do semi-finals or whatever on the day. Um, so seeing them go all the way from like quarters to semis to final in one night in the span of like two hours 40 or whatever a pbv length actually sort of turns out to be um just led to a lot of it feeling really rushed and thrown together um or or done on the fly um which kind of led to some nice moments here and there but they were kind of buried in a lot of like let's just fill time yeah definitely definitely i mean (sighs) This King of the Ring tournament, actually, I read when I was looking at some notes and so on a while back, that this edition is is the largest they did because all the qualifiers and so on beforehand, they had like 30 plus people involved in this tournament and then whittled it down to the last eight for the quarterfinals on the actual pay-per-view. Now, I quite like having the quarterfinals, semifinals, final on the pay-per-view itself. It kind of made the pay-per-view feel... Like it was about the King of the Ring tournament. Yeah. Because one of my fondest memories, one of my favourite pay-per-views, is going back and looking at King of the Ring 93, where Bret Hart was just absolutely phenomenal. And they had the whole tournament on there. So it's literally just from that basis of one of the first ones I saw. I suppose it kind of sticks in my head as how, how I think it should be done, maybe. But you're right, there's so much going on. And so many of these matches are quite short and throwaway, just to get the... Almost like they're just trying to get the result done quickly and, and then move on, I suppose. Yeah. And it's really interesting. You say that they actually did have like more of the brackets on Raw and SmackDown and stuff. Cause if they started with 32 to end up with the eight people that they ended up with coming into this event is quite interesting. It's quite a, a ragtag bunch in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah, it is definitely. <laughs> I thought uh, it was just whoever was available. No, no, they had they had plenty of qualifiers before this, apparently, from what I read. Again, I can't remember it firsthand, but uh, yeah, and you're right, it is quite a ragtag bunch. I mean, we'll get into the matches, um, the matches now. I mean, the, the first one we see, uh, as is with these tournament shows, the 
quarterfinal matches dominate the first early part of the match of the show. Sorry, because they want to get these people in the ring and out the ring and give them a bit of a break before they have to go back out again. I, I guess. Um, the opener is the the new Intercontinental Champion Rikishi, who defeated Chris Benoit on SmackDown just before this event, facing Benoit in a King of the Ring quarterfinal match. And this just starts off. My whole thing about this pay-per-view was there's so much about it that was just a little odd. And this is odd. This is weird. I mean... It just feels stilted, doesn't it? Like, the entire thing... Like, it only goes about three minutes or something, doesn't it? But, like, they're in, and then they get out of the ring, and then they're in the ring, and then Benoit just gets fed up and hits him with a chair, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much the entire match. That's all you need to know about that match. He was, he was basically in control at this point as well. He was yeah. in control of the match. And just went out and grabbed the chair and got himself disqualified. And it wasn't even like he tried to hide it from the referee. He just, no. just didn't seem to care. Yeah. So so my first thought straight away was, does that not... I don't know I don't know what they're trying to achieve. Because what, what, what I got was, well, Benoit don't care about the King of the Ring tournament then, so why should oh, yeah. I? Yeah, exactly. Like, this is the first thing they show you about it is a guy like... Uh, actually, I just I'm just gonna hit him with a chair and get disqualified and have the rest of the night off. Cheers. Yeah, it's like mm, all right. Very odd indeed. Um, it is it is noticeable though that we're starting a pay per view again with one of either Rikishi or Too Cool, which is yeah. sort of like an ongoing theme that we found, David, isn't it? It, it is. It tends to yeah. be starting off a lot of these shows, but again, it, the music hits and everyone gets gets up and starts cheering and so on. So it does the job it should do from that aspect i guess um and then they kind of kill him with the finish of the match yeah <laughs> so like, strange oh, oh okay i was excited until that yeah it just happened and it came out of nowhere like uh, just so so odd and one thing that really does irritate me about these things i know why they've got to do it and i think we may have touched on it for a previous show but ben was hitting him with a chair putting him in the cross face hitting a, a headbutt off the top rope and, and just carries on his beat down of rikishi and they keep the referee keeps asking for the bell to get him to stop. <laughs> and it gets to a stage where they're ringing the bell so much, it just irritates me. And I'm like, if he's beating the crap out of him with a referee there screaming, stop, stop, stop. And the officials such as Sergeant Slaughter and these guys coming down, ringing the bell isn't going to make Chris Benoit all of a sudden go, oh, you know what? I'm not across the line here. I'm going to stop now. That'll snap you know? him out of it. Yeah, just I tell you such... what, there is one really nice thing about that entire beatdown bit, and that's when like for for some, like they've got all of the referees, they've got Sergeant Slaughter out there, they got like all this stuff going on in the ring to try and like break him up, get him off Rikishi and stuff, and then he just climbs up to the top rope, does a headbutt, and like the the sea parts. Oh yeah, it's a really cool visual, but like makes no sense in like because if they wanted to stop him from attacking Rikishi, they just drag him off the top rope, surely, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Again, it's just odd and makes no sense. But you're right, that visual of him coming off the, the top rope, in the way Benoit does with his arms spread, uh, and then all the this, this sort of melee of people milling around, just literally a really good way of putting it, David, parting of the sea sort of thing, yeah. splitting right in front. It was a great visual, really was, but it just don't make any sense at all. <laughs> it's what it is, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And we got Rikishi advancing, which is, I suppose, ultimately what they wanted. Um we get to the McMahons, um, Linda arriving, um, and has a little interview there, which it, it, you don't really get anything from. It's just obviously to show that she's actually in the building. Um, the McMahons backstage, so Shane and Vince with Triple H and Stephanie, um, 
Vince is saying that he's not going to get rattled by his wife. He's Joe Cool. Um, don't panic. He's not going to let them down and so on. So I think we can straight away predict what's going to happen later <laughs> on. <laughs> um, and then we come to our second quarterfinal match. And again, a little bit of an odd combo, I guess. But I mean, they did work a little bit together, uh, you know, based around China and Tristratus and so on at this time, I suppose. We have Val Venus facing off with Eddie Guerrero. Now I actually quite I actually quite enjoyed this. Yeah, like this match was actually pretty good. I just it was sandwiched so much in between stuff that was just a bit like uh that I kind of forget anything that happened in it. I remember there being some nice moments. I think there's like uh Hurricane Rana or something, or like something happens and they, they kind of spill to the outside and I'm going, Oh, that was all really nice. And it's it's Eddie, right? And yeah. he was amazing and val was always pretty smooth as well so like this was always going to be good it just ended up not being particularly memorable because the memorable thing that happened just before was the schmoz of the benoit rikishi stuff and then like it kind of and what what's next what is it like ball buchanan and crash or something like that yeah um and it just kind of gets like lost in in the shuffle of of stuff that's like generally just a bit like struggling to keep my attention on this yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the quarterfinals, the uh, I think whoever's put this together kind of knows, kind of knows where they they should be sort of throwing a bit of time to, I guess, because yeah. the, the Eddie, Eddie Guerrero match goes twice as long as the one before and the one after it, um, and the Kurt Angle Jericho match goes a little bit longer than that. So I think you can see which way they're kind of viewing yeah. it potentially, just from the match times, maybe. And do you know what? I think if they'd done this the other way around. I think I might have received it better. Like if we'd started off with a really nice match between Eddie and Val. Um, and it was a pretty nice match. Like it was, it had like some great wrestling in it. Um, and then we went to like, okay, it's Rikishi Benoit, but it's not really Rikishi Benoit. It's just a, a, a little bit of a brawl and a like Rikishi getting beat up. Mm. I think like I might have been like, I'd, I'd have felt better about like seeing that match. Like I wanted a wrestling match, right? So I'm already a bit deflated by Rikishi Benoit, which could have been a good wrestling match. Um, if I'd had this Eddie Val match and I was kind of feeling good about that and then went into the Rikishi Benoit thing and it was just like, oh, okay, it's a bit of a dip. And then what we kind of move on from there. I think it might have set up the show a bit better. I don't know. I'm kind of spitballing. No, no, I think that's a really good point. It, it did kind of feel flat straight from the off. Didn't it? You get you get the pop of again, I suppose, Rikishi or two calls music hitting, which is something that we're sort of coming accustomed to in this era. Then it goes down to a big, big nothing, and then you get the, the sort of blandness of Linda McMahon, the, yeah. nonce, the nonsense of, of of Vince McMahon backstage. But then we get something quite good. So I can see, I can totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, really. but it, like by the time I've woken up from the stuff before, it's like halfway into the match or whatever. I think. Yeah. If we, if we just changed the order of it, I think it might have been easier to take him. No, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, we see a really good fisherman suplex at the end from Valvinas to to get the actual win. Um, a, a really good head scissors counter from some sort of uh, I suppose face plant effort, but he misses a frog splash. Uh, th- there was some really good stuff here, and of course Trish. But there was some really <laughs> good stuff here, and. Um, I got a note actually at the bottom of the page here for this match saying, is this the best Val Venus match I've seen? Cause I don't remember many that I watch and think he was good. Don't get me wrong. He, he yeah. always, he, he never sort of, 
did anything that made me think, oh God, this guy again. He never offended me, <laughs> but there was never anything that sort of stood out. But watching this, obviously it's fresh in my mind. I watched it a few hours ago, but I was sort of thinking, I don't really remember any Venus matches being much better than this. See, which- I, re- I remember him being solid, but I like all of my memories of Alvinas are from watching him on heat. So like, yeah. he gets a little bit more time on there than he normally does on, I would imagine on the, the Raws and Smackdowns. I didn't see him on cause I didn't have sky. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably a good case for it. Like anyone in there with Eddie Guerrero is going to have like one of their better matches. Definitely. And this, like it, it was like, it wasn't a bad match. It's just, I, got myself switched off by the stuff that happened before it and didn't really come back to it um, yeah. until sort of quite close to the end. Yeah, totally. I totally know where you're coming from. Um, after this, we get our first, uh, our first little look at Pat Patterson for the evening. <laughs> um, now I was sat watching this earlier on and I think it was Jim Ross mentioned on commentary about Patterson and Briscoe in a hardcore evening gang match. And I completely forgotten that this had happened. But as soon as he mentioned it, I was like, oh, this is going to be so funny. I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> and the moments leading up to it, like Patterson backstage looking at the dresses and so on that we have here, um, really tickled me because I thought Pat Patterson probably threw himself into this uh, yeah. on this show. And he, he was superb in this role. Um, we'll get to the contest in a bit when we sort of come across it. But it didn't quite tick all the boxes from, from what I remember anyway, but <laughs> um, Crash Holly versus Bull Buchanan. We finally get our Bull Buchanan singles match, Dave. Um, oh. The match that it, we've been singing his praises, saying yeah. we can't remember him, but I can't remember him being this good. He looks amazing <laughs> in all these multi-man and tags. Um, and I've got a note here saying, ask Dave, has the bull bubble burst? Oh, man. This was on the fly. You could tell this was mostly on the fly. And he looks a bit lost the entire time. Yeah. Um, and I think for that reason, like, I don't want to judge him too much on it. I kind of want to see what happens from here onwards. Because obviously, mm-hmm. this is kind of like a throwaway quarterfinal of a King of the Ring where Crash has got to do at least another match afterwards. Um, and... Um, yeah, it just felt like he wasn't quite there yet in terms of an ability to kind of like put things together without them being a bit more planned or practiced at this time. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's, it's four minutes of nothing notable, really, nothing majorly memorable. But I mean, again, you got four minutes in there. Uh, crash, I, I like he, he's great. Bobby Cannon, I've been really impressed with in these little sort of watchbacks we've been doing. But it didn't it didn't really have anything there that sort of stands out. I suppose the only couple of bits maybe potentially were um the crowd at one stage give a boring chant and I hate that <laughs> shit. I hate yeah. that. Um Bob Buchanan, when he's alongside the boss man and he's wearing those sort of black camo trousers and and the vest and so on, it makes sense. But I noticed that when he's not alongside the big boss man, he looks like he's just finished a shift at his local warehouse or something and just ambled down to the arena to have a match. He looks so out of place and I think that's like 
it's more in like his body language than it is in anything else as well like when he's out there and he looks confident he looks a million bucks Mm. but it just felt like he didn't look confident in this and the like the one thing i really remember from it is the finish um because obviously that's the thing you remember but like he he misses the scissors kick and it looks a little bit weird but then he immediately bounces for no reason onto his front so crash can do the roll up um and i'm like at this point i'm just like oh okay (laughs) yeah and and that was the first um the first decision, well, barring the DQ, but the first decision that sort of came out of nowhere for me. Um, I, I I knew this match wasn't long, um, and they kind of not done anything to sort of make me sit up and take massive notice in their four minutes they had. Yeah. But for some reason, I didn't expect it to end right at that point. And when it did, I was like, oh, okay, that's that. Yeah, it was just done. You know, it was. <laughs> yeah, I was I was pleased to see Crash move on actually. Um, because I think Crash is really good. Um, and like he's always like synonymous with like hardcore title and stuff, but to see him doing some like um more straight wrestling matches like really remind you how good Crash actually was. Um and I guess we'll talk about this more a little bit later, but it was, I was pleased to see him move on just to see if he'd get a bit more time um going forward. Yeah, I mean we'll come to it soon enough but his next match his semi-final match one one thing i actually noted down was he looks great here yeah because he's not doing the all the silly hardcore and and the sort of tin foil um dustbin lid shots and all that sort of stuff but i mean we'll come to that we'll come to that shortly um after this quarterfinal we get another little segment with uh vince mcmahon and linda vince is basically saying linda that she's not going to get in his head and make him do anything silly and he's not going to react and so on. Whilst she, she, I mean, bless her. She's obviously a fantastic businesswoman, but they might as well have just had a cardboard cutout of her here. (laughs) You know, I mean, I I think Vince was too much and Linda was nowhere near enough. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. They are polar opposites, aren't they? It's amazing. Um, But like, it's just Linda, isn't it? It's just Linda Mm -hmm. being Linda. And, can't really say anything more than that about it. Like everyone, everyone knows what they're getting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And basically, Vince effectively convinces himself to say that there's going to be no outside interference in the title match later on by Linda just staring at him and he reacting to her staring. I'd, perhaps she's. I don't know, she shows hypnosis or something on one control <laughs> techniques, so or I'm not 100% sure. But that's that's kind of the whole purpose of this segment, is that the six-man tag for the title, the WWF title later on in the show, there's now literally going to be these six men involved. Vince has said no one else will be involved. So I suppose it serves that purpose. But again, it's just Vince was so over the top, and Linda was just, like you say, Dave, Linda, it was kind of a bit of a miss for me, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Like, it, um, I, I don't really. May, I mean, maybe it's a different time in wrestling, and in in the cynical way I look at it now, I I didn't believe for a second that there'd be no interference. Like, mm. just, like you can say it to you blue in the face, but like I don't believe anything in wrestling when someone like the villain outright says it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was interesting, but it kind of did nothing. Yeah, it kind of summarizes a lot of this card, I think. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the next and final 
quarterfinal match uh, features Kurt Angle coming up against Chris Jericho. And, and I got a little confused at the beginning of this um, because I'm remembering what we've seen already and what I kind of remember from around this time. And Angle is, is the bad guy um, in, at this time. But it comes out to quite a good reaction from the crowd. They like him. Um, and there's lots of Angle signs. And it's not until he started talking and slagging off the local sports teams that I realized, oh, yeah, he is the bad guy. You know, it kind of threw me for a moment. Do you know what I mean? I think people just realize how good he is. Like, we said it when we watched um, Insurrection. Like, they did that segment of him doing meet and greets and stuff. And there were legit people there. Like, people think he's a big deal because, well, he's a big deal. Um, And I think, like, even... Back then, like fans recognized a wrestler who is good, even if like they are the pantomime villain that Kurt Angle can be sometimes. Um, but yeah, he's just he's he's sort of uh, you get you get a following because you're doing a real good job. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Jericho comes out with a microphone also, and I always remember. And still now, to, to be honest, I, I, I like Jericho and I always remember him as being quite cool and uh, just just everything about him I, I liked. He looked great. He he, he spoke well. Uh, his WCW stuff I enjoyed. And then sort of every different change in Jericho I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I remember this being like a wisecracking, um, almost comedy-esque Jericho on the microphone. Um, sort of really cutting people down with comments, especially with regards to Stephanie McMahon. But he comes out here and calls Angle King of the Nerds and um, makes a reference to him having um, horrible ring gear. And I'm just thinking, this this isn't quite how I remember this. This isn't, <laughs> way, this isn't as cool or as cutting as I remember Jericho being. If, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's because you get um, you get the clips, right? As time goes on, you get the clips and they get cut down to just the best ones. Um, but I remember Jericho being like this all the time back then. Like I'm sure there's a thousand misses for every 10 hits um, from this time in Jericho's promos. And um, I thought Angle's ring gear looked really nice Yeah, I'm on this particular <laughs> one. So I was just like... Uh, it's a, it's a bit mean. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I like Jericho like had a thousand insults for every person um, and they're not all going to be hits, are they? I, I, yeah, I appreciate that assessment of it. I think it's, it's um, a little bit, a little bit like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, this match starts quite quickly uh, with, <laughs> Well, quite quickly, um, you know, the sort of standard wrestling match starts, I believe, and then they end up going outside for a bit. But I'm starting to get into this quite a bit. I'm thinking this is going to be good. Um, Jericho gets hip-tossed over the crowd barrier yeah. in, into the into the front row. Um, now, obviously, you see people going over the barrier into the, into the crowd, into the fans' laps, potentially, on virtually every show, don't you? Um, seeing somebody get hip-tossed over the barrier... I don't know why it just looked really odd because I don't really see that happening very often but I think it was really cool yeah it's not something you see particularly often but it works for Angle right because he's meant to be a wrestler um, but he is a wrestler like legit and in character so like it, it makes sense that he'd actually use a wrestling hold to throw him over the barrier rather than just back of the head or whatever you'd normally see um, I, I yeah I, I really enjoyed this match like it was the the first one that I was like actually watching watching like properly into wanted to see how it ended 
um, cared about the near falls. And Angle's so good already. And he's like, what, eight months in or something at this point? Yeah. And he's like already got that 2.99 count nailed. Um, but yeah, I thought this was like a lot of it, again, seemed to be on the fly, but it was done really well, really smoothly. Um, and yeah, I had no thoughts on this. I really enjoyed it. I mean, with regards to that then david when you say on the fly um you mean like calling it in the ring i'm guessing like they might have a rough yeah. idea what they're doing going out and just sort of trying to get through how how is it noticeable for you then obviously having been in the ring yourself that that's what they're doing can you see them communicating um more in certain matches than in others or I mean, it's it's not so much that you can hear or see them communicating. It's just sometimes in the things that they do, like um, particularly during this time um, in wrestling, there's a lot of like, I'll send you to the ropes and then we'll do a thing. I'll send mm-hmm. you to the ropes and then we'll do a thing. And they're like individual things like that. Um, but like a lot of what um, Jericho and Angle are doing in this, it like uses the ropes and stuff. Um but like you might sort of spot a call and then they'll do a bit and it's like, you're like, Oh yeah, that seemed like it was on the fly, but it's really smooth and nice. And like, um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but at one time someone gets into the ropes and as they come back, there's like a really nice counter, um, into, I want to say like a suplex or, a um, or a throw of some kind. And I'm like, Oh, that was really nice. And it like, it, it looked like it wasn't planned. Um, and like particularly when you're watching wrestling sort of in 2021 like you can see what i would assume to be quite heavily planned stuff where like people are either doing something like that's quite intricate and fast or they're like apart from each other but then when they come back together it's still really intricate and like well positioned and and everything it feels a bit practiced um and it's that whole like you probably be able to see it like regardless of whether you're involved or not like the stuff that looks really choreographed probably really is choreographed Mm -hmm. um and the stuff that looks a little bit more um not even scrappy, but like they are like staying close to each other or like doing stuff that's like a bit simpler, um, a bit less like intricate um, mm-hmm. in terms of like the the movement and how people are interacting sort of in space as they move. Um, and it's that kind of stuff that kind of puts up the flag to, to me as to whether it's sort of something that someone's remembering or the two guys are working together and, and trying to sort of keep on top of each other and and work out where they're going to to kind of a common end goal that they'll they'll know where they're going with it um but they're just filling space before they get to it right okay that's fascinating i don't know if that even makes sense (laughs) no no it made perfect sense i find find that sort of thing absolutely fascinating really interesting um there's there's something that tickled me here around the time that we saw the hip toss into the crowd there's somebody stood there with a sign that says wwf needs chronic (laughs) <laughs> as in the, the WCW tag champions at this time. Oh, okay. And, and I, that, that tickled me. That really made me laugh. I don't know why I found it so funny, but it really got me. Um, <laughs> we get a near fall off a German suplex with a bridge from Kurt Angle. Mm. Um, Y2J tries a, a drop kick, um, which misses. But then he obviously sells the bump of, of missing the dropkick, which was kind of, it's again, something that you see quite a lot. But in my head, if, if you hit the dropkick, you're still kind of falling the same way yourself, aren't you? 
kind of yeah um it's one of those wrestling things isn't yeah. it yeah <laughs> could um, potentially explain it away as if you have um something to actually push off of at the top mm. then you can better control how you fall and that's legit like if if you're drop kicking someone and there is somebody there like it is a bit easier to sort out the landing because you like have a moment of connection um that sort of gives you a pause and then as you sort of land you can eat more easily kind of position yourself if you are doing the drop kick and you'll have to forgive me because i can't remember if this is a drop kick where he lands on his front or his back so i'll talk about the front one um because that's the train of thought that i was in but yeah. if you're um doing the drop kick and you gotta flip around to your front like without connecting with everybody up there um if you like you you need to sort of whip yourself around a bit faster and like there's obviously like there's not that connection with somebody else to push off of um then like it it's a it's a riskier land if you're not super good at it um so there's there's probably an element of of reality to it but like yeah it's it's one of those wrestling things where you're like that looks exactly the same regardless yeah. of whether you kick him or not it looks exactly <laughs> the same why are you selling it when you do one and not the other yeah no i understand um there's there's a cool moment where an Olympic slam attempt is countered into a Wars of Jericho. And that's when we get Stephanie McMahon running down to the ring. Um, she causes a bit of a distraction. We have a ref bump that looked a little off, shall we say. Um, Stephanie mm. tries to hit uh, Stephanie tries to hit Jericho with the belt. He ducks and she catches Kurt. Um and she can't believe what she's done. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, but it's like the camera angle showed the belt to be at least a foot from Kurt Angle's head. Yeah. And I was a bit like, oh, okay. But never mind, never mind. <laughs> and then Jericho, I suppose the only way to word it could be forcefully kisses Stephanie McMahon. Forces himself upon. <laughs> he couldn't do this in 2021. Jeez. Oh, my goodness. The amount of times uh, you see it as well. I mean, Hogan used to do it with Sherry. Um, yeah. It just unbelievable watching it back and it's something you used to see all the time but i'm sat there watching it thinking why this is a bit awkward yeah you know? <laughs> and like that that societal change has happened in the last and we've talked about this before but like that societal change has happened probably in the last 10 years like properly mm. um because this is 2000 i remember it was probably still happening until the late late-ish 2000s like that sort of thing um so for it to properly become like unacceptable this is bad and nobody will cheer it like it's probably happened in the last 10 years and i think that's really interesting um but like yeah it's really really awkward watching it now yeah and you get the ones as well don't you where i got kev how i word this i suppose because again we're in 2021 and so on but where the the wrestler forcibly kisses the lady and she seems to almost halfway through start to enjoy it and turn the kiss (laughs) and you're thinking this is this is like as bad as james bond in the 60s this is terrible you know terrible but again a little window into that time of what was okay then and not so much now i guess um ultimately this this results in angle winning because of the distraction of jericho being unable to resist a a massive smooch of old steph Um, before tapping out Oh, yes, of course. I forgot about this. So, like, Jericho gets him in the walls. The crowd go crazy for it. Um, He taps out with the ref turned, and then Jericho gets distracted and um, loses. But this is another one of those things that they they do a lot 
at this time where like they just can't make up their minds on who they want to look good so they try and make both of them look good and i don't know if it really has that effect mm-hmm. um because they both win but they both lose yeah yeah, and it's it, again. I, I agree with you. It's that kind of. I suppose now you you get it on on WWE television with the what a lot of people online refer to as the fifty fifty booking. I guess mm. you win this week, I win next week, and then ultimately nobody's got the advantage in, yeah. in the sort of bigger picture. I suppose it's a very similar sort of thing to that, but a much smaller window of yeah. it happening. But doing it in the same match, and what like what tends to happen is you only remember the guy that won, and that's what they're banking on, or mm. the the last thing that happened at least. Um, but they've been doing that with Triple H a lot as well. With the Triple H Cactus Jack stuff, it was always like, Triple H wins, but Cactus Jack beats him up afterwards. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just feels like they're they're very heavily relying on that trope to get them through this period of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we have a cut then to WWF New York, which they were pressing and pushing hugely at this time. Um, and we've got Mick Foley sat at the bar and Ivory, oddly, behind the bar serving <laughs> drinks. Being ignored. Uh, yeah, totally. She's calling <laughs> Foley over and over again. And he's just like, I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can't really hear what Foley is saying because the crowd are chanting Foley and Ivory. Uh, and it, it was just a bit chaotic but i quite enjoyed this because anytime i see mick foley makes you smile so yeah and i kind of buy the fact that mick foley would just sort of just on a whim wander into wwf new york and go these people all love me yeah (laughs) i feel like being loved today let's go sit at the bar in wwf new york um so yeah it's kind of like one of those like obviously set up but kind of felt real moments yeah yeah um we then get a four-team elimination match for the WWF tag team titles. And I've said in the past, I think it was the WrestleMania episode we did, Dave, that these kind of multi-team matches where everyone has to tag in and out don't always make sense to me. No. But I think this one was done okay because um, two of the teams were gone relatively quickly allowing it to go back to an ordinary tag match for, for, for a good few minutes towards the end, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I didn't actually cotton on to the fact that this was elimination until very early on the team started only trying to do their finishes. Um, and I was like, oh, is this elimination? Because like, we're like a minute and a half into this match and like we've had like three attempts at like a press slam thingy and everyone's trying to do twist of fates and stuff. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, so it's elimination. The thing I really loved about this match is that two cool walks in as champs. When did that happen? Yeah, I, 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 that completely threw me. And I, I've got, <laughs> if you could see my notebook in front of me now, again, I, I didn't go back and look down the card right before watching. So I'm making notes of the matches as I go along, as in who's competing. And this tag match comes along. And obviously Edge and Christian, Testin Albert, um, and the Hardys. And I actually wrote the Dudleys. Thinking... Right. Okay, well, the champions are out next. It's going to be the Dudleys. And then the music hits, and I crossed it out and had to put two cool. So I was like, <laughs> oh, that, that freaked me. I, I, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was quite quite good to see them as, as tag champs. And again, they get a great reaction from the crowd, and everyone's dancing and celebrating when they come out and so on, which, which is great, isn't it? Yeah, and I loved it for the, the entire entrance. And then I went... <sighs> oh, I'm jaded. I'm a jaded, cynical wrestling enjoyer. They're losing those on on this pay-per-view right now. Yeah. Um, 
which kind of made me a little sad but there were some really nice moments towards the end of this like the um christian mocking the worm and like edge and christian mocking the worm and then getting the double bulldog and the real worm and stuff and like i, I don't know i love too cool like just watching him wrestle makes me happy so like the the latter end of this where it was like mostly them and edge and christian i thought was really good yeah that, that's actually a note i've got here saying that too cool versus edge and christian at the end is, is is excellent i really really enjoyed that um you got trish ah oh, trish and lita yeah. at ringside who get involved early on um Jeff Hardy actually starts the match, but whenever he was in the ring, especially with the likes of Albert, the the, the huge mass of a man that Albert and Test are, he's bumping like an absolute lunatic, especially at the beginning, the opening exchanges. He just makes everything Albert does, it just makes everything Albert did look so, so powerful. Yeah, and Albert was really powerful, right? And the, um, the, the, like he must be doing the press slam into the sit out as a finish at this point right um so he goes for that a couple of times but like the the second or third time he does it where he gets them up for the press slam and then does the sit out but jeff lands on his feet i thought was incredible oh yeah that was fantastic i I don't think i've seen that before no that was amazing but i mean jeff hardy just even when i suppose he kind of for want of a better term lost his way a touch um so in the TNA days when he had obviously certain issues there, when he turned it on, he would still look an absolute superstar. He would still look a yeah. cut above the majority of others on the show. And even here, just in this tag match with what have we got, we've got four teams, so eight men, plus Lita and Trish at ringside uh, and, and everything else that's going on around this, he still stands out in that company to me. Yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Edge and Christian win, uh, as you said there, Dave. We've never belt shot, actually. Um, at the end, the referee is distracted, uh, and Christian hits... Uh, was it was it Scotty Duarte with the belt? Yeah, and where was the ring bell? They've been using the ring bell as their gimmick for the last, like, what feels like six months. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, they're using the belt instead. What's going on? Yeah, perhaps they just decided that ring bell's too difficult. <laughs> Christian, you're a goddamn klutz, and you keep turning it yeah. the wrong way round and impaling people. <laughs> um, so Edge and Christian win the tag titles there. Uh, again, a good enough match for me. There was enough there, especially towards the end, to keep me entertained. But it seemed like, I suppose, as we said earlier on, a lot of things happening, a lot of stuff going on without anything actually happening. I yeah, we're, we're kind of into the fun section, I think. Like, we, we've got the initial sort of quarterfinal matches out of the way. They were a bit rushed. Like, Angle and Jericho picked it up um, with, with their match, and, like, this was a, a fun tag, um, particularly towards the end. So I think it's, we're in a bit of an upswing in the, uh, in the pay-per-view. I'm not sure if we get another downswing before we get to the rest of the good stuff, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get a ad for the fully loaded pay-per-view, which is the next pay-per-view in the year that I've just written down here, really cheesy advert. It just comes across <laughs> really sort of, I don't really know what they're trying to achieve other than getting the date of the pay-per-view and the name up on the screen, which obviously they do at the end of the ad. But the rest of the advert just came across really I don't think quite fit with what we were watching somehow, but either way, I suppose it accomplished what they wanted. So <laughs> I don't remember it at all. So it didn't work on me. <laughs> well, okay. They didn't accomplish it. <laughs> um, we then get an interview quickly with crash talking about his semi-final King of the ring match coming up with Kurt angle. Um, and again, it, it's just kind of there. 
Crash doesn't really say anything of note, but the only thing I've got note I've actually written down is that he's incredibly squeaky. <laughs> you don't get to hear him talk all that much, do you? No. Um, in his time in WWF, but um, I, I thought it was good to see him get a microphone put in front of him. Like I enjoy Crash. Um, it was good to see him get at least a little bit of a spotlight um, in this show. Um, so I was kind of like smiling, going, "Oh, Crash." Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, it, it was good because it was almost like you saw extras too like we mentioned earlier on i suppose the actual wrestling side rather than the hardcore trashy kind of side yeah uh, a little bit extra than what we have witnessed in the shows we've done previously um next up we have rikishi and valvinas uh with trish making her third appearance of the night this is going to rate very very highly with me dave i'm not gonna <laughs> lie <laughs> this could be the best pay for you we've seen wow. uh, <laughs> um this is their king of the ring semi-final match and again this only goes uh, well, just over three minutes. Um, Rikishi is selling the arm injury. He's got quite a bad bruise on his arm from an attack from Valvinas on the previous. I think it was the previous episode of SmackDown, wasn't it, or the week before potentially? Yeah, I think it was Benoit on the the previous episode or something like that, wasn't it? I don't know. It was Benoit was it, yeah. earlier in the night, wasn't it? Benoit beat him yeah. earlier in the night, but Valvinas was attacking him with a chair and a monitor. Oh, was it Val? Like, okay, yeah, that makes flashback. Sense. Thing. Basically, it just seems like Rikishi's just not very popular at the moment, doesn't it? Everyone just wants <laughs> to get a slap. Yeah. <laughs> um, after that, sort of, I suppose, very fast, uh, lively um, four way tag, it seems like the crowd is quite burnt out here, I think, because they're virtually silent throughout this match until, until the very end when. Again, you see Trish getting involved um, and eventually Rikishi advances to the next round with, with a belly-to-belly suplex. And again, the pin kind of comes out of nowhere from that as well, doesn't it? Yeah, this was another one of those sort of, oh, okay, it's three minutes already. Better, better take it home <laughs> um, sort of moments, I think. Because um, like a few of the finishes in these um, tournament matches did very much sort of, they were like just in the middle of something else. And then it's like, move, done. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, maybe they were just saving some time for Rikishi to get beat up some more. Well, potentially. I mean, he does get quite a quite a beat down afterwards, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind these these matches ending. I, I suppose out of nowhere or or a, a, as a surprise um, on certain moves. If it's something that happens fairly regular in other matches as well, I think yeah. if you're doing it just just on these contests. It very much seems out of context to the rest of the product you're promoting. It doesn't. It just comes across strange. But if you're if you've got Rikishi beating people with three or four different moves and not just his finish on a on a more regular basis, I I, I think I'd quite enjoy that because it almost adds, a, I suppose, a, a bigger sense of realism to what we're seeing. Yeah, I've always quite liked this. So um, throughout a lot of like my wrestling, like I've never really had a finish. Like and it's come from like that sort of same, um, that same train of thought. Whereby if well, firstly, like I, I just quite like doing whatever I feel like on the day. Um, but at the same time, like if you don't, if you're not expecting a particular thing to end the match, then you are more likely to be invested in the near falls that aren't that move, right? So if um, 
for example, we're only expecting Val to win here with a fisherman suplex or a splash off the top rope. Mm-hmm. Then if he does anything else, then you're like, oh, that's not a finish. Um, but then um, Rikishi does a belly be- belly to belly suplex, and it's not something he normally wins with. Um, and it's a finish. It's like, oh, okay, that came out of nowhere. But why not, right? Why couldn't it be a finish? He's a big old guy doing a big old guy thing and squishing him. So why not? Um, but yeah, yeah I'd, like, I, I wish more wrestling was like that. And we weren't sort of in a situation where we've kind of gone the other way, where like everyone has a finish, but no one protects it to the extent that like yeah nothing really feels like a finish anymore and the ones that really get like the invested pops are like the near falls where you're like done six thousand head drops and then done a small package and everyone's like oh that one's the end it's like, oh, why the, would uh... that one be the end and like sometimes it is like you're conditioned to think that like nothing else works so you just use a wrestling pin um and that's quite funny if you think about it yeah yeah the the old schoolboy roll-up is mm. become um if well like the the perfect plex from the late 80s no one kicks out of it <laughs> yeah. if, if if somebody's distracted and, and you catch them with that my goodness you've won the match oh you yeah. know it's <laughs> that's it <laughs> it's got a 99.999 percent success rate yeah fantastic yeah. <laughs> and if you decide on a finish dave you should definitely go with the whole ball buchanan scissor kick leg drop effort that's what you should start using. <laughs> anyway, i might use that once at some point in the future brilliant stuff <laughs> um we, we see gerald briscoe backstage here and this this tickled me so much um he's there saying about how he's going to prove to pat patterson how he's all man just as his evening gang turns up <laughs> uh, and that i don't know why but that, that popped me i laughed at that but again with typical wwe they have to go a bit far and start talking about different types of panties and it was like okay you've gone too far now yeah that was was enough that made me laugh that was enough that was subtle and that was clever and briscoe sold it brilliantly and the timing was perfect but now you've gone too far this is it i think like um briscoe and patterson were having such fun doing it and you could really like get into the stuff that they were doing and then it's like the surrounding context of it like the stuff that's been fed in by writers or whatever because they thought it'd be funny um at least that's my assumption uh it just takes it's just yeah, it's just like maybe it was funny at the time. Well, <laughs> I don't, maybe. I don't, I don't want the image of Gerald Briscoe deciding between normal panties or crotchless ones. It's, it's not, it's not something I want to think about. It's not good. And <laughs> <laughs> um, the next King of the Ring semi-final match followed this, um, and we have again quite a short contest around the four-minute mark again. But it, Crash Holly ultimately losing out to Kurt Angle. But this is the match where I made that that, that, that note I mentioned previously, David, about. Crash looking great in this. Obviously, he's wrestling Kurt Angle, who is is a freaking machine, even at this early stage of his wrestling career. But Crash look look out of place, and he's doing certain things that you don't normally see from him. I was really glad to see how back and forth that they allowed this to be. Um, like at points, literally as well. Like there's a point at which um, Angle and Crash are like in the corner, and they're just punching each other. Like Angle does a few, and he spins him around, and he hits him back with a few and stuff, and they just sort of like going around being back and forth and like really building up like some semblance that crash could have won that match um and for me to believe that sort of even now like being invested enough to watch it and go almost almost got him um i thought it was really good like this didn't go very long it didn't go as long as i was hoping they would give it 
Um, so I've, I've just really wanted to see like Crash have a proper 10 minute, like really good wrestling match against Kurt Angle. But I think it probably went about five. Um, and so, yeah, I enjoyed what I saw. I thought it was really good. There was one near fall from a top rope drop kick from Crash that I saw. Uh, I knew Kurt was going to win. That's the thing. It's 21 <laughs> years ago. But the, the, the near fall from the top rope drop kick had me sort of go, oh, hang on. But as as Kurt kicked out like so close, it was oh, it was it was very good, very good. Again, I agree with you. It'd have been nice to have seen more. Yeah, and you know what? We like it's exactly what we just talked about, right? Because all the other matches like have had finishes that kind of come out of nowhere. It makes it more believable that drop kick could have worked, and that mm-hmm. combined with Angle's ability to like kick out at two point nine 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 made it really feel like that could have been a finish. And yeah, it, like it, it's that that creates the excitement, and it's that that makes a wrestling match like entertaining and good to watch. And I thought it was like for a five minute match, I thought it was great. Mm, yeah, did you see um, much TNA back in the day? Um, when it was on like Challenge TV or Bravo or Five or you know when when they had Angle and Sting and the, uh, Jarrett was running it, I think with his dad at one stage, wasn't he? I don't know if that's mm-hmm. exact same timeline. But did you catch much of Kurt Angle in TNA? Saw bits and pieces. Like definitely wasn't watching it regularly, um, but I'd catch like the odd show here and there. I mean, he was. I, I think some of his best stuff was in TNA. It was he was so good. So so good, and and the, what makes me sort of even more um, amazed by that was the whole reason of him leaving WWE at the time and ending up in TNA was because his body was breaking down, and he had the drug issues due to his body breaking down, and he went on to wrestle a longer time in TNA than he did WWE, and I think his match quality actually went up. So it was just <laughs> I, I, it, the guy just blows me away. I think he's absolutely superb. And yeah. we did a um. Uh, I think it was last week's episode it came out on um, with Sean Carant of Evolution Wrestling. And we looked back at a TNA pay-per-view there. And I'm, I'm going to do more with him. I'm really looking forward to sort of looking back on these TNA shows because I think it's a company that is very up and down, but there are periods where the ups are very, very good. I mean, don't get me wrong, the downs are a dire. <laughs> but the ups are very, very good. There are certain time periods when they were doing well, and it is superb stuff. So I'm really looking forward to uh, looking back on some of those with Sean. Yeah, no, that's like absolutely like there's some phenomenal matches from TNA um, over the years, and like even some of the ones that were just on like episodes of Impact. Um, there's a couple of those that I remember that just sort of being really good and sort of sticking my memory i'll go back and like watch them again every now and again um one of them um which most people wouldn't probably give a second thought is one between um austin aries and bobby Roode, and they are both villains at the time and they just happened to um be in a match together maybe it was like bound for glory series or something like that and they're just okay. trying to help villain each other for the entire match um so they're both cheating but like they're escalating the cheating as it goes along and it just it it's beautiful in its own way yeah i can imagine i can imagine bobby Roode and tna was was fantastic yeah oh just great stuff i'm really looking forward yeah. to seeing some more of that the more of that. i mean the pay-per-view we covered last week we literally chose because you could find it on youtube and it's free oh wow really 
Um, if you type into, I don't know how much I should publicise this. I don't know if it's strictly legal or get it took down. But if you just type into YouTube, um, TNA full event or TNA pay per view full event, so there's quite a few on there. And if you can tolerate the adverts dropping in every now and again that YouTube stick on there, you can watch the whole pay per view. It's fantastic. You know? <laughs> well worth a look. Um, I'm afraid we're going to have to talk about what happened next, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, no, not quite, not quite. We don't have to talk about the evening gang match just yet because we get something else that's, I suppose, slightly unpleasant, and that's Donald <laughs> Trump. Um, <laughs> yeah, Madison Square Garden the night before, sellout crowd apparently, and they're making a big, big deal that Donald Trump is in the crowd and even speaks to Jim Ross, oh, sorry, Jerry Lawler, at this this house show in Madison Square Garden, doesn't he? Hmm. The thing that really stood out about this for me is how. When he became president, they did their utmost to fix his hair. And they did such a good job that, like, looking at this now, like, from 21 years ago, you go, didn't Donald Trump have weird hair? That's exactly what Jim <laughs> says, isn't it? Yeah. Because he's got a weird haircut on commentary. And I was like, Jim, bloody hell, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it is extra weird. Like, we're, like his hair is still like one of the defining features of his look. Um, but back then it was somehow even more out there. And that's it's kind of incredible. Very strange. And he's there saying about how the rock is his favorite wrestler. And Lawler obviously notices the, the, the young lady with Mr. Trump <laughs> and states, he's got a very attractive lady with him there. And I think that ends up being his wife, doesn't it? I'm not 100% sure. It? I think so. Um, yeah, then JR obviously has a dig at his weird haircut and we move on. So <laughs> uh, we get a Kane promo and then an Undertaker promo. Uh, and again, they're just kind of there. They both just say, I want to win tonight, or words to that effect, which you'd have obviously, I'd, I'd have thought, I'd have thought that as a bit of a given, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and that's that. Again, it's, it's, it's a, like a lot on this pay per view. It's there, but doesn't really serve a massive purpose, I guess. Yeah, it feels like they're getting about 15, 20 seconds to talk. And what what can you really say in 15, 20 seconds about a match as nuanced as a six-man tag team match where whoever gets the pin is the one that becomes the WWF yeah. champion for some reason? <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I, I, I want to go out there and win. Okay, thanks, bye. Yeah, that's it. And that, well, the biggest thing I took away from this was just how cool the Undertaker looks. And this, to me, is peak Kane. He just looks incredible at this time, you know. Yeah, with the full face mask and everything. Um, yeah. it's proper intimidating. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then we come to the hardcore evening game map <laughs> for the WWF <laughs> Hardcore Championship between the first ever Intercontinental Champion Pat Patterson and nwa jim crockett promotions legend gerald briscoe um that is won by neither of those <laughs> it's, it's won by our buddy crash who's not in an evening game oddly just so everyone's aware after just over three minutes um yeah this happened mm, it felt like it was longer than three minutes didn't it <laughs> it did 
and I I don't know it's, it's very much of its time isn't it and I was kind of like pondering whether like this is um, the American version of sort of what at the time was um, like Royal Variety type stuff like um, Dame Edna Everidge Lily Savage that kind of stuff over here oh yeah okay because um, it's it kind of felt like it was the same sense of humor but then Americanized and taken to that like next step um maybe taking it over the line at times um and it was just sort of wondering more than anything whether it was like that same sort of culture thing um but like two different kind of countries takes on it oh that's a really good point i didn't think of it that way i i just kind of shuddered and pushed it to end that's a fair response as well I mean, I'm fairly certain that Lily Savage um, never reached into her drawers and pulled out any kind of sanitary product that Pat no. Patterson decided to start waving around. That was um, a low point. Oh. That was a definite low point of this match. And, and to be honest, the fact that the, the whole thing was not great, but the fact that we can point out one moment as being the low shows how <laughs> low it is. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the oh. bar was scraped in the ground to begin with but um yeah oh, it, it's a shame because it could have like it could have been fun because you could tell that both briscoe and patterson were able to have fun with the concept yeah. um but i i don't know what i don't know what happened listening to i mean patterson's the one for me patterson is loving this he he's he's all in he, he's absolutely I think he comes across really funny in these segments. Uh, Briscoe as well, don't get me wrong, just purely because Briscoe is a genuine tough guy, ex-NWA, title reigns dotted all over the place and so on. Um, But Patterson is the one. He is loving this. And according to uh, Bruce Pritchard on his podcast, when this came up as a topic or somebody asked a question about it, Patterson was having a great time. He was having a whale of a time doing this segment, picking out his outfit, making sure his makeup and his wig is right. And so on. He was loving it. Um, so fair play to the guy. If he was having that much fun, that's great. And also, do you see the little subtle digs towards WCW's Hulk Hogan at this stage as well? No. Earlier mm-hmm. on, they had a, when I think it was Patterson who, or no, it was Briscoe. Sorry. was going through, the um rail of clothing there was a bright yellow feather yeah. belt yeah i caught that one and he made some sort of dig as to how many birds had to die to make this <laughs> you know a, ma- a real man wouldn't wear this sort of thing yeah. um and then briscoe actually comes out to real american um oh i didn't catch that yeah joe briscoe actually comes out to real american um and I've got to check the timeline because I could be slightly out, but I believe it was around this time that Hogan brought back the red and yellow. Okay. On, on an episode of Nitro, he was um, tagging with Goldberg and potentially Sting against somebody, and he actually returned. The, in the red and yellow, trying to have one last run that way. One last run—that's comical, isn't it? <laughs> And I believe these might have been digs around that sort of idea. Timeline-wise, it may not completely sync, but that's kind of where my mind went to. So, but yeah, the subtle digs are uh, just made me chuckle. I can't imagine you're wrong on that. That's the WWF thrown through, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you know, Vince was loving this. <laughs> yeah. You know, Vince was just sat backstage somewhere watching on a monitor, just just hackling, <laughs> hackling away, and, and roaring with laughter, like. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Moving uh, swiftly on. Yes. We then get something else that is, again, just odd for me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's DX, Tory, Road Dog, and X Park. And they, they defeat ultimately the Dudleys of just Bubba Ray and Devon. So it's a handicap match, first off the bat. It's, it's, a, it's a multi-person, intergender, uh, <laughs> handicap <laughs> tables dumpster match is kind of, I suppose, the full title. Yeah, and I, I, don't, like, I don't know whether the Dudleys weren't interested in using the dumpster or weren't allowed to use the dumpster or what was going on, but I, I, essentially the Dudleys were trying to put DX through tables and DX and Tory were trying to throw the Dudleys in a dumpster... And yeah, that was the kind of that was the kind of story going in, and that was the stipulation, wasn't it? DX yeah. would win by putting their opponents in a dumpster because they had them in a dumpster and pushed them off the stage on an episode of Raw or SmackDown or something like that. So yeah. that was their link towards their I don't know chosen weapon of a big wheelie bin. I don't know. And then obviously the, the Dudleys are a table obsessed, so one team had to use the tables to win. The other team had to use the dumpster to win. It was three on two, um, but one team had a lady involved as well, and it was quite quite strongly pushed on commentary as being no disqualification. But oh, then at, at the start, they had to tag in and out, and the ref was giving them five points <laughs> to do that. And I'm just watching, thinking I've got no idea what was uh, going on. <laughs> I don't think anyone else did either. Like going back to the to the video package, I thought it was a beautiful thing that they did when they pushed the dumpster off the stage and it went through tables yeah. on the way down i was like oh that's either a really nice bit of like visual like <laughs> um at the dudleys or they actually thought it might help to break the fall and it just didn't at all <laughs> those tables just disintegrated when the dumpster hit them <laughs> i can't imagine they helped with the fall at all no, um, but yeah i don't know this this whole match was kind of like a little bit of a cluster um and like there was there were nice moments towards the end i guess but it suffers from exactly the same thing that um we were talking about a little bit earlier so the dudleys get sort of thrown into the dumpster refs distracted whatever or dead or whatever it may be they climb out (laughs) through the sides that's quite cool um then they go under the ring don't they then they go under the ring they come out the other side and then they get on top they put two of them through tables but i guess they had to put all three of them through yeah um, elimination remember it's yeah. it's a handicap tables elimination yeah. dumpster intergender whatever you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so um by this point i'm thoroughly confused i thought the dudleys had won already and then i because i'd forgotten tory was part of the match and not just a valet um and then like stuff happens dudley's um like tory gets in the dumpster and then they they kind of follow her in and get shut in and look a bit silly, but it doesn't matter because they lost, but they get their comeuppance immediately afterwards anyway. And you only remember the last thing that happens and they put Tori through the table and Bubba makes that face that that he makes and everyone feels unsettled and we move on to the next match. <laughs> That's pretty much it, yeah. Um, the Bubba Bomb's awesome, isn't it? I love oh, it, it looked incredible in this match as well. That's the one thing that actually did stand out on the match is the Bubba Bomb. It's, and the so, 3D on X Park as well. Obviously, obviously, everyone gets a 3D at some point in this match. Everyone takes a 3D. Everyone goes for a table. It's, it's the usual sort of Dudley's brilliant sort of stuff. But the one on X Park, I don't know why. It just I looked at them. Wow, that was incredible. 
<laughs> Actually, the other thing that, that looked incredible um, was Road Dog going through the tables on the outside because that setup where Bubba's standing on the steps in the ring and they lift him up and he's like what feels like 20 foot in the air hanging over the outside and then goes through the tables on the way down. Like, it's heck of a bump. Yeah, but again, that leads to more confusion for me because X-Pac and Road Dog are out. They've been eliminated. But yet, they still come in and win the match for their team. But they've <laughs> no, been eliminated. No disqualification. Oh, it just baffles me. <laughs> I, I know this is WWF in 2000. And we're going to get to this with our main events that we're coming to very, very quickly. I know this is WWF in 2000. But this is so WCW. <laughs> this is so just nothing really makes sense. But we'll go along with it anyway. Just because WCW, that's kind of vibe I got from this, you know? <laughs> It's it's just so random that like you're not even following what's going on and you're just happy to see the carnage and I think that's probably about as good as we're going to get from it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we get a little Kurt Angle interview here talking about the King of the Ring final um, and this again just little comments that just tickle me and I don't know why they get me giggling so much. I'm just I'm, I'm a child, I guess. <laughs> but Kurt Angle says something about how can. Um, Ricky should be king of the ring, or how can he do this? How can he do that? When he has a, a thing for rubbing his butt in people's faces. And that straight away tickled me anyway. But he followed that up with, bear in mind, he's not swore or anything. He's put that very tactfully and very well. He follows it up with, pardon my French. Because, <laughs> yeah. because, because he said the word butt. And I just think that is so great. It's, it, that's amazing. Um, and it's like it, that in itself like encompasses the Kurt Angle character at this time and it's yeah it's great yeah absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant um and then we have the king of the ring final and again this doesn't last too long either i mean the the sort of the dumpster handicap tables match is almost twice as long as the final here it's a good sort of four or five minutes shorter um angle ultimately defeats rikishi to win the king of the ring and again it's it's a match that it's there. It served a purpose. Angle has won the King of the Ring, which, which interestingly enough, on this occasion, they publicly state makes him the number one contender. It makes him the number one contender for the WWF title at the next pay-per-view, mm-hmm. which is, I think, is great because in previous tournaments, that hasn't always been the way or hasn't always been you know, stated as directly as that. So to okay. me, that's great. Um, but again, it's, 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 it's a a match that is there and it's not like, Oh, well this was terrible. I didn't enjoy it, but there's not much to make me sort of think, well, okay, that was, that was worthwhile going back to watch again, I suppose. No. And I think like it, it's, it's just too short. Um, and like it hits like the right beats, I think as like they, they tease the stink face, they do the stink face. Then angle gets a near fall off hitting the angle slam um, which surprised me because I thought finishes meant something back in 2000. Um, <laughs> but like, that's two kick out. Oh, okay. So, and then um, he tries the sunset flip and Rikishi sits on him and he does the Kurt Angle 2.99999 kick out again. And yep. <laughs> it gets me again, even though I know Kurt Angle won this going into it. Um, and then like, there's a super, super, super impressive belly to belly suplex off the top rope um, where he's, actually doing some throwing of Rikishi there like if you watch yeah. the replay um, and like just because there's a beat 
afterwards where they're both like selling the impact of it or whatever like I didn't expect it to be the end. The crowd didn't expect it to be the end. Like we're probably like, it's probably what five minutes in at this point. So like Mm -hmm. we're expecting it to be a bit longer than this. So the end just falls a bit flat. And that really was a shame because firstly, like the thing they just did was actually really like impressive, like physically impressive. And two, like it made sense because he'd tried the angle slam and like he's gone okay well we'll do this top rope thing instead and it works but like just something in the way like the the whole context of it and how it fit together it just didn't feel like it should have been the finish and I think the crowd were feeling the same way because they kind of went oh oh and then kind of perked up like three seconds after the the three count yeah definitely it was kind of again we've had a few haven't we where they the finish just kind of seems to just come out of nowhere mm. um but you're right what, what actually happened leading into the finish was impressive and you can see it that it's almost like i don't know if, whether it was a, a timing issue or um whether it's just that rikishi is that big a lump I, I don't know but angle literally has to has to really suplex the guy yeah sort of, sort of about a quarter of the way in it's obvious that he has to I don't know the correct term, sort of almost take over what's happening and literally suplex the guy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's incredible, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, and, and that's it. The King of the Ring tournament is, is done and it's, it's over. Um, yeah. So Kurt Angle's your, your King of the Ring and the number one contender for the WWF title. There was one other moment that did stand out to me though, to be fair, Rikishi hits what I suppose now the kids would refer to as an RKO. Um, yes. Back back when I was younger, it was it was a diamond cutter, um, and it will always will be a diamond cutter. I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's kind of doing like a a sort of almost running version of a diamond cutter, and I thought that look. I've, I've not seen Rikishi do that. They called it a neck breaker on the yeah. commentary, but I was like, no, that's more than that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, there's an RKO. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's- diamond cutter or um yeah. whatever it may be like it's like the way he dragged him out the corner with it was actually quite interesting and i guess like i don't think i ever really saw rikishi do it after that i can't remember him ever doing it definitely caught me by surprise but it was like one of those totally random like uh here you go take this <laughs> yeah. yeah it was it was it was it was excellent and i suppose the whole story throughout the i suppose the week because of what happened on smackdown um earlier on in in the in the week with rikishi winning the ic title but taking a beating from benoit and then rikishi gets through the first round but obviously takes a beating from benoit again afterwards he's beaten up by val venus after his semi-final win and he can't quite get over the line against kurt but he's still turning up with the bruisings and, and, and the beating he's had yeah you carry on making him look good don't you because obviously they got big plans at this stage here in what are we june 2000 they've got big plans for rikishi coming up in the next few months so i suppose even though angle may be a couple of steps ahead of him in the pecking order as to where they were going more immediately they still make rikishi look strong and capable because of what he's had to overcome just to even get to where he is i guess on paper i guess um if you were to read what had happened, I would agree. But I think if you watched it, um, I wasn't really getting the impression that Rikishi was being sort of super resilient to 
anything like that. I think the matches didn't really go long enough for him to be able to sell resiliency. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. That was just my interpretation of, of kind of like watching these matches sort of just happen. Um, and not really connect to any of them. I think probably the connection is more the problem than the, the, like the booking of it or anything. Um, it just kind of felt like it was like, oh yeah, or well, Kishi has a match and then gets beaten up and then like comes into the next match. You sort of like trying to shake it off a bit, but like, I don't know. It didn't really feel like the, the injuries he was given, like really played into the stories all that much of the matches. Um, they kind of just felt like what might happen anyway. Mm. Um, in a in like a five minute match, and it's like, oh yeah, and also Rikishi is injured because he got beaten up twice. Um, but I don't know; it was just my perception of him on anything. Something I wish they touched on, literally just popping in my head now. That again, and it comes back to the sort of realism. And I would I think this would have to come from the commentators, obviously, because they're the ones adding the soundtrack. I guess mm. you look at the size difference and the build difference between Rikishi and Kurt Angle. They've both had to wrestle three times that night. Then I both going into the final, um, so two times that night previously, a third time against each other. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like that big a deal, but I, I think I'd have quite liked it. Again, adding to the realism of the, of this, if Jim Ross or someone would have made a comment about Rikishi's size and how how potentially stamina is more favourable in this situation to Kurt Angle um, because of their different builds and so on. It's almost like when you do the, the, you see the sort of tail of the tape in boxing or UFC and you talk about this guy has X amount of wins but they're always within the first two rounds because if he goes past that he, he kind of struggles stamina wise. Just a little touch like that I think might have helped me. Yeah, just sell, just selling in the story. I think that's a, it's a really good observation, actually. And um, I don't know, maybe because maybe I don't know, were they aware that these matches were all going very short, or um, even so, like, like it's not like they were all two minutes or anything. I think no. like having to wrestle multiple times in a night, and obviously with being attacked after each one with weapons, I think you, you could definitely have played more stamina into it. Mm, yeah okay I was wrong that then I suppose David with regards to wrestling more than once in a night this is something I know you've done I've seen you wrestle yeah. you know in a, in a one match and then come back later on and so on how does that how does that affect your evening because I mean to me when again a very long time ago whenever I did anything athletic which again like I'm saying this is decades ago if you see the state to me now but this is <laughs> um, if I I used to play a lot of football for example uh, you'd, you'd do your, your warm up and all that sort of stuff and then I would play a football match and then I would have another match two hours later it was difficult trying to know what to do do I you know, with regards to stretching and keeping warm or whatever for the second game all that sort of thing how does it affect yourself or obviously other people working multiple times in an evening it keeps you busy um <laughs> that's for sure like generally um promoters will be nice about it right and you'll be on like towards the beginning and then towards the end um if not totally beginning and end um so it's like in terms of having the the cardio conditioning for it, it doesn't really make a difference because you've got a big gap between the two um okay. what what you do have in terms of the big gap between the two is sort of what you'd like to be like downtime after the first one where you have to kind of stay active, stay warm, um, keep thinking about sort of whatever it is you're thinking about. If you're um, working out what to do um, going forward and then like, do you plan things before 
anything do you like generally what will happen is like you'll you'll sort out your first match and then you'll um have it and then you'll go in and you'll kind of talk through like while the rest of the show is going on what's happening towards the end um and then go out and do that but like even that in itself is um an interesting thing for a human mind to have to do because you're having to sort of commit to memory something in a very short space of time remember it and perform it and then discard it almost entirely to remember something else um and so it's not just a physical but it's a it's a mental sort of stacking of tasks that makes it go very quickly in my experience um but the um the time in between is sort of making sure you stay warm um both mentally and physically is is really key to being able to do it um and not uh get thrown off or get hurt or whatever it may be hmm. yeah okay well, that's interesting yeah i'm i suppose now we come to the main event of the evening um and again this is very much it sounds like a wcw stipulation and seeing the stipulation discussed on the show as we're heading towards the match did make me sort of go oh really and i remember (laughs) you know basically we've got the rock and kane and the undertaker who all the way through the show and the weeks building up to this pay-per-view um are are all basically it's being very publicly uh, people being made aware that they can't get along and work as a team um and then you've got shane vince and the champion triple h on the other side of the ring whoever wins the match for if the rock kane or the undertaker um get the decision they win the title regardless of who they beat on the other side so it's a very convoluted kind of odd tag team sort of stipulate and my mind instantly goes to when i believe it was when david arquette won the wcw title and they were heavily criticized for this it was in a tag match and david arquette pinned i think it was eric bischoff to win the wcw title in a tag match when bischoff wasn't even the champion and so on so it was a very similar kind of scenario is that around the same time as well yeah it was around 2000 yeah and you had russo also had uh vince russo also had his own title run around that sort of time as well (laughs) um again very much a case of winning the belt in a multi-man effort that uh, just crazy WCW stuff. Yeah. But they get panned for this. So I'm going into this match thinking, oh, I ain't sure about this. <laughs> and, and even now, looking back and thinking about the match that, that, that I've watched today, um, I, I'm still not 100% sure. But I think they handled it relatively well for what it was. Yeah, for what it was. Um, it was all right, wasn't it? It wasn't too bad. Um, mm. There was bits and pieces that, like, felt a bit weird um i had a good chuckle at like triple h does the pedigree at one point and the undertaker's just like walking up to the ring apron and rock has to kick out because he just doesn't bother to break it up um yeah and I'm, I'm thinking, on he, the he's mic, supposed like, to break that oh, up undertaker broke that up and i was like undertaker did bloody <laughs> not break that up <laughs> yeah you're spot on um but like it it kind of was what it was like it started off a little bit weird like why would Shane start other than the fact that he's scrappy do but then he's scrappy do so that makes sense um so Shane's in with Kane and like trying to hit him and Kane's just not having any of it and then like it, it it's 
serviceable i think for the most part if not particularly memorable um and then bit of chaos and then it ends i don't yeah. know it's, it doesn't really feel like they didn't i i wasn't i wasn't buying into it from just just from the stipulation like a, yeah. a tag match for the for the heavyweight championship written okay this is like undertaker's first pay-per-view match back as well isn't it yes so yeah, that that's sure is weird uh, like why not yeah, the, sorry like, go on I was going to say, why not give him a match by himself? But then halfway through saying that, I realized they had the entire tournament to do, so they couldn't fit it on, I would imagine, is the answer to that. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I don't really know what the reason for having this main event was, if it wasn't that they needed to get these six people onto the card and not take up too much time. Seven people with staff, I guess. Um, but... I kind of wish they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, we end up with Vince taking the pinfall here, and that costs Triple H the WWF title. And Triple H is visibly angry as he walks away. And, and Vince, after this, he steps away for a bit, storyline-wise. He's, not, in, he's okay. not on screen. So maybe that was a way of breaking up their little... McMahon um, Helmsley kind of faction there. I think um, it's time. I think it's time for that at this point as well because I'm getting a little bit done with mm. seeing the McMahons in the main events, and I don't even know how many I'm talking about there having been, but it feels like there's been too many in a row where the main event was mostly about the McMahons rather than about whoever the champion is and having a wrestling match for the belt. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, you think you you go right back to even the ones that we really enjoyed. For example, the Royal Rumble 2000 and the No Way Out main event 2000. The Triple H defending the title against against McFoley in both. Mm. Stephanie's involved, and even though it is very much Triple H Foley and it's great, the McMahons are always still an afterthought on those matches because they're representing Triple H, so mm. they're they're involved. Literally, right from when when me and you started doing this, they're involved yeah. in the very first main event, and then obviously WrestleMania was literally dubbed a McMahon in every corner. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. Uh, and we we talk. It is literally this whole. I mean, we're now six months into the year, so I'm assuming just by the the usual sort of way they figure things out, we've done six of these pay per views, potentially seven with the UK show as well. Yeah. The McMahons are in all of it. Yeah. And like not not just in all of it, but like at the very top of the card, mm. like they are the main event, and it's I don't know I I just want to see like a uh, a good like I guess this is still attitude era a good attitude era like heavyweight championship match like the ones that I remember there being I know there were some there were some here somewhere. Um, and I just really like to see like a one-on-one for the belt that's not like shrouded. And I guess all of them had like smoke and mirrors stuff towards the end, but like um, that's not like mostly about the McMahon's. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the main event of the next pay per view we we head to, um, it's not involving a McMahon directly. But there is one hovering around. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can deal with that. Yeah, Anything's I, better than this. 
it's a fresh title match put it that way it's 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 a fresh title match which is something quite nice um yeah so that that kind of brings us to the end of the king of the ring 2000 show it goes off the air with the rock celebrating um the undertaker jumping back on his bike turning around and calling him a son of a bitch on several occasions <laughs> uh kane has disappeared off somewhere now i'm not fully sure where um the mcmahon's are bickering and that's that's where we sort of go off air the following night on raw we have triple h talking with the new commissioner which is mick foley saying that he should have a title match against the rock because he was never pinned to lose the belt this brings out kurt angle who states that he's the number one contender because he's won the king of the ring tournament mm-hmm. um and then mick foley decides uh, to have a triple threat match that night between the rock angle and triple h to basically decide a number one contender even though the rock is the champion <laughs> yeah what <laughs> yeah. the rock wins the match which basically means neither oh. kurt angle or triple h are the number one contender Back so the line then yeah so this whole evening of king of the ring matches and this whole 32 man tournament they've structured over the last few weeks <laughs> to decide who was going to be the number one contender didn't bloody matter anyway <laughs> uh, it's good because it kind of felt that way yeah again i know it's wwf but it just feels so wcw right now you know um yeah, yeah so any any last closing thoughts there dave and i suppose we get to uh what we what we rate it on our old school system man there was some upside to this i talked about what they were like the 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 ending of the um elimination tag was good like jericho angle was good it was great seeing crash get a bit of a spotlight but boy did the bad outweigh the good on this so i'm just gonna have to go with a flat old d a d yeah i i, I was thinking around d d plus that kind of thing um, even trish three times couldn't save this <laughs> no i know mate i know oh see then now you put that back in my mind i might have to go yeah. b okay b, b plus. <laughs> <laughs> no i agree with you i think this is a d d plus tops um yeah. there were moments that were good but there was also moments that were just downright awful and to find out in my research the following night things happened that made none of it actually matter in the big <laughs> scheme of things anyway kind of made me just go oh all right so yeah there we go um the next pay-per-view we will be looking at is fully loaded 2000 we've got quite a card there um the main event is the rock versus chris benoit for the wwf title oh wow shane in his corner um the storyline dictates that if the rock is disqualified he loses the title by dq as well i remember this match so that's something to look forward to there um the undercard features uh, a bit of a mixed bag we have the hardys and lita versus tna and trish so we get to see trish wrestle always a highlight for me we have <laughs> <laughs> um perry saturn and eddie guerrero for the european championship uh, we have a steel cage match for the intercontinental title featuring rikishi and valvinas um, the undertaker gets his one-on-one pay-per-view return against kurt angle which i'm quite looking forward to seeing 
And we have a quite long last man standing match between Triple H and Chris Jericho, which is something, again, I'm quite looking forward to looking back on. Um, That is Fully Loaded 2000. The next show, David and I will be looking back on. Um, But before I let you go, David, and before we get to your social medias, very quickly for anyone listening out there, because I know there are people interested, uh, you returned to the ring recently, didn't you? In a uh, main event spot for a company's first championship. uh, From what I've read and what I've heard, it was a good night and a bad night results-wise. How how did you get on? Yeah, uh, firstly, I'm going to say that I actually remember, like, actually remember Fully Loaded. Which means I have high hopes because it was memorable enough that I remember various moments from it pretty much clear as day. So that'll be really interesting to watch that back. I've not watched it back probably since I first watched it. So that'll be really interesting to see if it stands up. Um, And as well, Benoit in in 2000 wrestling mm -hmm. for a world title. That intrigues me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um I, I hope it's the one that I'm remembering. I might be remembering something a couple of years down the line, but like if it, if it's the one that I think it was, so it's really good main event. Um, so yeah, looking forward to watching that. But yeah, so um, I was at EVM wrestling in Evesham, UK the other day, um, wrestling ready um, for the heavyweight championship there. Um, managed to get through that match, managed to pick up a win and then first ever champion I believe. First, first first ever EVM heavyweight champion. I'm not really then it doesn't really feel like it because I immediately got cracked in the back of the head and then um woke up not champion anymore pretty much after having um stumbled my way through getting beat in about two, three minutes after that. Um, by Hotshot Chris Adams. So uh, it sounds like um, sounds like might 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 be getting might be getting a return match there for that. That would be nice. Oh, um, so um, yeah, be be looking forward to that. Um, he's um, he's got a lot to answer for. It was kind of a, I suppose. Was it like a sort of money in the bank kind of cash in kind of um, situation? Yeah. yeah, he had um, yeah effectively won an opportunity um, earlier in the night for um, for the championship, and then like took advantage of Ruddy being a sore loser. Essentially, um, I've watched back the footage, and um, I almost had him at one point. Like. Um, he goes to hook me for a thing and like, I counted him, got him in effectively a cross face um, and he used the referee to climb up um, to, oh, okay. to kind of get out of it and in doing that pulled the referee out of the ring and then hit me in the nuts and if I wasn't already loopy enough that pretty much shut my brain off again as you can imagine so um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be good to get my hands on him um, in July hopefully Yeah, excellent stuff um, and just before we depart then if you can let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online so keep an eye out for these matches you're having and these events that you're uh, you're participating on yeah absolutely so on twitter i am heritage city hm um you can find me on there and i might actually see the things that you post now because it's back on my phone um and on <laughs> facebook i am uh david e, and it's just a, a regular person account you can add me i'll make sure you don't look too crazy and then i'll accept 
excellent stuff okay and you can find me at sjp words on twitter uh but most importantly you can find the show at sjp wrestling pod on twitter facebook and instagram um also track down my other show which is at chain underscore wrestling on all those formats there um this week we had a great discussion looking back at daniel bryan versus cm punk uh for the wwe title in 2012 and our non-wrestling topic was foods that you hate um we had a bit of a heated discussion about that because i couldn't believe the hatred that mr mags has for certain things that i love so that became very interesting as well um have a look out for all of those give my new show a try uh chuck us a like comment let us know how you're getting on uh david thank you so so much for your time again this evening i really really enjoyed it and i'm really looking forward to fully loaded 2000 my pleasure thank you for having me as always and yeah i'm actually jumping at the bit to go and watch it great stuff i'll speak to you soon cheers